paying too much for health insurance? Frustrated by high deductibles, network restrictions, and increasing premiums? There's a better way. Christian Healthcare Ministries. CHM is a Christian community delivering a robust, faith based solution to the high cost of healthcare. If your current health insurance has become more of a racket than a remedy, take back control of your healthcare at around half the price. Learn more and enroll today at chministries.org. That's chministries.org. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Trey Gowdy. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, July 26th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. Hunter Biden, the president's son, goes to court today to resolve a tax evasion case and avoid a gun charge. He clearly got preferential treatment and he's gotten a deal that nobody who's not named Biden would get. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. For all the talk about the scary future of AI, artificial intelligence is already doing quite a bit, including for police departments with little guidance on what's allowed. In this, you know, given setting where uh, I could potentially analyze body camera footage and be used as a training tool, I think it's probably a net positive, uh, but it just all goes back to how it actually goes in practice. And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Hunter Biden will show up in court today in Delaware, and the president's son is set to plead guilty to two federal tax evasion misdemeanors. Hunter Biden got special treatment, preferential treatment, and they ran this case in a a ridiculous way. Republican Congressman Jim Jordan is on the House Oversight Committee, which held a hearing a week ago featuring two IRS whistleblowers involved in the investigation, alleging... There was interference that hampered the probe. No one should be above the law, regardless of your political affiliation. And Joseph Ziegler is a Democrat. Gary Shapley told lawmakers this Hunter Biden tax probe was very different from any other case in my 14 years at the IRS. At every stage, decisions were made that benefited the subject of this investigation. But Democrats, led by Congressman Jamie Raskin, were not impressed. We can conclude that this Inspector Clouseau-style quest for something that doesn't exist has turned our committee into a theater of the absurd, an exercise in futility and embarrassment. This tax case, coupled with the ongoing House Republican investigation into Hunter Biden's business dealings, and if his father was involved... The president insists he was not, led House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to tell Fox. This is rising to the level of impeachment inquiry. That's for another time. Now, our focus is on the Hunter Biden case in court today. Well, the plea deal itself that he's been extended by the Biden Justice Department is an outrage. Andy McCarthy is a former assistant U.S. attorney, now a Fox News contributor. And it ought to have people outraged. Because the more we find out about the background facts and the way that the investigators were systematically hobbled in trying to do this case, the more you see how inappropriate it is that, number one, that President Biden's son was investigated by President Biden's Justice Department. He clearly got preferential treatment and he's gotten a deal that nobody who's not named Biden would get. The facts get worse as we know more about them. So the issue is, you know, why did he get the plea deal that he got and will the judge accept it, which is a big question. All right. Now, does the judge have to accept it? No. The judge's name is Mary Ellen Norieka, and 
she could decide there are things about this that bother her and tell both sides or one side or the other to provide her with more information. Uh, but she, she, advise, she can't do anything about it. I know Republicans and a lot of people are saying that these are, should be felonies, but they're misdemeanors. She can't do anything about that, right? She cannot order the executive branch to bring particular charges, but she can determine that the plea is not in the interests of justice and the court won't accept it, which would send the parties back to the drawing board how often does a judge really do that? I mean, the government's been investigating this for five years. It is President Biden's son. To drag this longer and longer by rejecting a plea deal, how common is that? Well, I'd say it's more common than a president's Justice Department investigating a president's son, which is, you know, quite unusual. I'm trying to think of the historical precedents, and I'm not coming up with that so far. Um, so it does happen. Uh, I think you're quite right to suggest that, you know, probably upwards of 96, 97 percent of the time, uh, judges accept the pleas. Also in court today, Hunter Biden's other agreement to skirt a felony charge of illegally possessing a gun as a drug user. He'll enter into a pretrial diversion program to avoid prosecution. In his autobiography, Hunter Biden admitted he was addicted to crack, using it constantly when he bought a Colt Cobra revolver in 2018. He lied on his federal background check, claiming he was not using illicit drugs. So how does this diversion program work? In many states, they would call it a, a process called adjournment and contemplation of dismissal. And what this goes to... Dave, is a concept called prosecutorial discretion, which is simply a resource allocation doctrine when it's done properly, which is a a fancy way of saying there's more crime than we have resources to prosecute. So in this instance, there would be an agreement between Hunter Biden and the Justice Department that would require Hunter to meet certain prescriptions that would be made for him, like he'll have to have drug testing, perhaps psychological testing. Maybe he'll have to remain gainfully employed. There'll be a a variety of conditions. And basically, if he meets those conditions and he keeps his nose clean for about a year, at that point, they will drop the case. Being a first-time offender in all of this, tax evasion and this gun charge, it's not that unusual that there's a plea deal, right? It wouldn't be that unusual if he was a multiple offender. So Democrats have said, look, the president's Justice Department ended up charging the president's son with misdemeanors and a felony. So they did their job. Well, they didn't charge him with a felony on the gun to begin with. He's going to escape prosecution on that. So that's preposterous. I mean, you know, anybody who wasn't named Biden would be looking at serious time for the gun charge. Because there are some cases where... Even as a first-time offender? Even as a first... Okay. Because guns are taken very seriously. And where you see people escape getting charged is um, these um, lie-and-try cases, they're called. Which is to say, you tell a lie on the required federal form in obtaining a gun, and they catch you, which means you don't get the gun. In other words, they won't license you to get the gun. In those cases, a lot of times, even though I think those should be prosecuted, they're not prosecuted because the rationale is, 
why do we need to go after someone who didn't get the gun anyway? In this instance, Hunter not only lied and got the gun, he's on tape waving the gun around while cavorting with a prostitute within days of getting it. And then he lost the gun across the street from a school. So he didn't lie and try. He lied, got the gun, and exhibited terribly reckless behavior in connection with it. That's the kind of case that typically uh, lands you in a prison sentence for probably three years or so. Back to the tax investigation and last week's IRS whistleblower testimony about being thwarted in their probe. Gary Shapley told lawmakers... In the course of any normal investigation, uh, when the the subject's father is uh, somehow related to the finances of the subject, that in the normal course of any investigation, we would have to go and get that information to properly uh, uh, vet um, uh, the the financial flows of money. Now, Joseph Ziegler testified... I've never been told that we couldn't approach someone to interview them as a part of an investigation. And Andy McCarthy has never dealt with that either. I have never heard of a situation where agents were told that there were people that they who, who would naturally come up in the course of questioning uh, where they were not allowed to ask follow-up questions about that. Okay. The but, only it's, time, but it's not easy to talk to the president of the United States that way, is it? Well, this was not an issue of interviewing the president of the United States. This was an issue of interviewing Hunter Biden and about... 19, I think, other people that they wanted to interview after the Justice Department had kept them on ice for months, telling them we can't conduct investigative activity because of the pending election, which itself was ridiculous because the rule, which is not really a rule, it's an unwritten sort of guideline uh, that you're not supposed to take action that could affect an election. They were not looking to interview the president. They were looking to interview Hunter Biden and other people who were implicated. And they were told that if Joe Biden came up in the questioning of those witnesses, they were not allowed to follow up on. So it was not a question of interviewing the president. It was a question of interviewing people who were implicated in the investigation and not being able to ask natural follow up questions. All right. Now, there is a lot of talk in the House committee investigating hunter biden and president biden oversight and even judiciary they're they're all involved in this they will get a chance apparently to question u.s attorney david weiss who led this hunter biden investigation maybe sometime in september after the august recess he will testify at a public hearing the question has been whether or not he had the ultimate authority in going after hunter biden or if others could get involved and block David Weiss and his investigation. What do you think is going to come out of that? I think it's a sideshow, frankly. Um, You know, I I think David Weiss is something of a weasel. Uh, So, you know, he told, I'm sure what happened here, based on the testimony of these very credible IRS whistleblower agents, is he told a room full of investigators that he was not the ultimate decision maker on whether Hunter Biden could be charged or not. But at the same time, he's trying to back Merrick Garland, who said he was the ultimate decision maker. They're trying to turn this into his wife's lying. Did he lie to the agents? Did he lie to the Justice Department? The issue here is why didn't Merrick Garland appoint a special counsel? So this idea that Merrick Garland is just like a spectator uh, while his Justice Department can't work things out 
between U.S. attorneys is ridiculous. The test of whether you have a special counsel is whether the attorney general makes a finding that, number one, there's a serious matter that warrants an investigation or prosecution. And number two, and this is the important one, is there a conflict of interest that is so profound that the Justice Department can't investigate the case in the normal course? And you can't have a more profound conflict of interest than the Biden Justice Department being in a position of having to investigate the president's son under circumstances where the president himself is implicated in the facts. So that was Biden's call. That wasn't Weiss's call. So now, when we get past Hunter Biden going to court and a potential plea deal being accepted by a federal judge, the rest of this is politics, is it not? Because you'll have House Republicans investigating and Democrats saying it's all a bunch of nothing and we'll go into a presidential campaign. Yeah, well, you know, I think a lot of things are politics that we'd like to think are law. Like, for example, I get people all the time, Dave, who say to me, you know, it's terrible the way Hillary Clinton was never held accountable. You know, she was never indicted. She did things that other people have done who get prosecuted, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I'm at pains to point out to people Do you remember the President Hillary Clinton years? No, nobody remembers them because they didn't happen. She lost. And it was because the public held her accountable, even if the system didn't. So, you know, I think we always like to and I I appreciate this because I was in the legal system for such a long time. We like to think of ourselves as a rule of law society, but we're really a body politic. And in the end, public can hold people accountable, even if the legal system doesn't. Andy McCarthy, Fox News contributor, former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Great to talk to you as always. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Dave. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. For all the talk about what AI, artificial intelligence, will do, it's already doing quite a bit right now deployed in online advertising, personalizing experiences. As it's often used to analyze patterns, it's also being used to help social media companies detect or flag certain content. It's being used in facial recognition on both the corporate and government levels. And police departments are now using it too, including in Oxford, Alabama. Fox's Jonathan Seri spoke with the CEO of Trulio, a company that uses AI to analyze all the video collected by police body cameras. Before the fatal police beating of Tyree Nichols, AI could have alerted supervisors to patterns of behavior that needed correction among the officers involved. With Tyree Nichols, that's a failure to supervise officers. The command staff in Memphis would have uh, the data uh, that would alert them. Alert them to the prior behavior of those officers now charged with murder. But the way AI is used by law enforcement can create risk, according to the CEO of the Center for Democracy and Technology, Alexandra Givens, who recently testified before a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee. Recently, a Georgia resident, Randall Reed, was held in jail for six days 
because a face recognition system misidentified him. There are other accounts of wrongful arrests, and these are likely just the tip of the iceberg. There are other cases, though, where AI may have worked. Police in Westchester County, New York, arrested David Zayas after AI tracked his vehicle over many months, traveling the route AI assessed many drug traffickers had traveled. He was arrested with 112 grams of crack cocaine, cash, and a pistol. And while there aren't too many rules or laws governing the use of AI yet, the attorney for that suspect said the Fourth Amendment, rules against unreasonable search and seizure, should apply here. In this particular case, I think it's important not to judge the technology by a particularly successful outcome. Jake Denton is a research associate in the Tech Policy Center at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, we have to look at it in the bigger picture. So this is essentially predictive policing being utilized at scale. And, you know, it can unfold in very different ways. Uh, it doesn't always end with the drug dealer getting caught on the drug smuggling route. Um, it can result in, you know, uh, wrongful targeting, um, you know, accidentally kicking down the wrong door. Um, and really what this all boils back down to is there's not a lot of oversight with these um, large language models, these AI programs mm -hmm. um, at any level, and in particular with the police departments as well. And so, um, you know, the average person's not going to know that this is being used against them. And when it is actually used against them, it's not going to necessarily be clear how the AI model came to the conclusion that it did. And so that's the the biggest issue here is oversight and transparency. Um, and then, you know, the countless other horrible um, use cases of something like right. this are also in the back of our minds. Um it is a more proper use of it then without oversight and without regulation, this idea of police departments deploying it as part of a body camera footage gathering, in, in other words, to analyze the data they get from body camera footage and sort of assess and maybe in hindsight to say, we need to change this tactic or, you know, we've, we've noticed this is happening among our officers. If you can use AI to analyze large data sets, I imagine that would be a, a preferred tool, at least at, at this stage without the oversight? Yeah, you know, I think people are just going to be very dismissive uh, and frankly, just scared of the police adopting artificial intelligence in any way. <laughs> in this, you know, given setting where uh, it could potentially analyze body camera footage and be used as a training tool, I, it's probably a net positive, uh, but it just all goes back to how it actually goes in practice. Um, you know, they can give you the press releases and we can have these really nice tailored um, kind of messages coming from the, the police departments or the government or whoever um, that tells you how it'll be used. But, you know, that'll oftentimes not really be the exact same as how it's used in practice. So um, as long as it's used in a training tool and um, they're not, you know, taking bad data, I think it's it is probably a good thing. The attorney for the the guy that was busted with the crack cocaine, he said that his arrest in this way was a constitutional violation, that the Fourth Amendment must guard against the way the AI was used here. We've heard of other cases in, in different congressional hearings, mostly I'd say in conjunction with facial recognition software. I wonder if we'll have a court ruling on the use of AI before we'll have any congressional law on AI. It's very possible. And, you know, it's almost mirrors the Section 230 uh, issue as well, where, um, you know, we haven't had any real reforms uh, in that regard. Um, but the courts are still forced to interpret the language to an entirely new technology that uh, wasn't even imagined at the time of drafting the legislation. 
And it's going to be very similar in this case with artificial intelligence. The courts are going to have to apply outdated laws that didn't even have any idea that police could potentially use artificial intelligence. Um, And they're going to have to make sense of it. And that puts, you know, the average American in a really kind of scary situation where there isn't a lot of certainty on, you know, what their fate may hold, um, whether they're in a courtroom, whether they're at a routine traffic stop, there's just a lot of question marks. And I think that should make everyone uneasy. When we talk about regulating AI, I imagine there would have to be like a big AI umbrella and then, you know, lots of different laws in application to lots of different things, like a law for the military and AI and a law for maybe social media and AI. Um, if it's that, if it's going to be that chaotic and confusing, where will people pull from? Will it be maybe these local laws? Like some cities and states do have laws that limit the use of facial recognition software, for example. Like, do we do we have any precedent, any rules or rules of the road that we can look to? So a lot of things are happening all at once in this artificial intelligence space. We're dealing with all sorts of national security concerns, data privacy concerns, um, and then just really big questions, lofty questions about, um, you know, humanity as a whole, right? Like, what do we value when it comes to artistic creation with generative AI? All of these things are happening all at once, and our lawmakers haven't even agreed on a standard set of definitions for what artificial intelligence actually is, right? We haven't even uh, defined the technology. And so as we embark down this legislative path, there's going to be a temptation to pursue kind of the issue of the week, you know, this big news story. Um, And it essentially turns into a game of whack-a-mole where we're just constantly chasing symptoms of a bigger problem, a bigger disease. And so you have to go back to the core and you have to legislate and regulate this technology at a foundational level. Um, You know, something that would be very helpful at the beginning of this process is legislation on explainability. So what that means, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, kind of a a computer science term that gets uh, a little bit uh, misinterpreted here in DC, but really all it is is, In any artificial intelligence uh, model or program, there is an input, it's processed, and then it gives you an output. And explainability legislation would require that in that kind of processing phase, that it's auditable. Um, And so by the time it reaches the output, the consumer or the person who's using that technology can go back and figure out how it came to that conclusion. Um, And Ah. that gives them the maneuverability in any setting where, you know, oversight is necessary to figure out how these models came to the decision and who's accountable for, you know, what it decided to do. It sounds like you're saying it it sounds like you're saying it almost needs like a blockchain, right? Like a proof of work. (laughs) Uh, So it's it's hard to kind of like (laughs) uh, merge these concepts. It gets really confusing. But um, there's essentially this. you know, it's referred to as a deep neural network. There's all sorts of layers um, and all this information just kind of gets jumbled together. And that's the magic. That's, you know, what allows for these models to produce you these, you know, amazing responses that, you know, are better than any human's writing. Um, so we just want to figure out, you know, how did it produce that? And um, the scary thing in many cases you know, even inside the companies uh, that are making these AI models and even inside the AI teams, a lot of them can't tell you how it draws a particular conclusion. And so how are you going to regulate that if you don't have any idea how the tech works? So that's square one. And then we'll just have to build from there. On the police front, though, I I wonder if the police would come back and say, like, for instance, in this vehicle tracking case, hey, we would use old school techniques to track a suspect vehicle. 
Now we're just using a new technique. Like we're not doing, we're still doing a tracking of something that we suspect is going on. Why can't we use this new tool to do it? Yeah. And you know, it, it's going to be a really difficult debate, but I think it all goes back down to who gets caught in the crosshairs. Um, you know, mm. just because they're pursuing a target that they might have otherwise encountered somewhere else, um, they're going to have to process other information and other data. And it's going to make assumptions about other people who weren't necessarily the subject of an investigation. It's very difficult to silo off this technology and only use it to pursue it particular uh, suspect, right? So um, in the instance of, you know, police, the obvious thing that jumps right out is, um, you know, merging CCTV footage with body camera right. footage, with radio communications to produce all sorts of really scary models. And, um, you know, who's to say you're not the one that gets caught up in a extra egregious search just because, you know, you got pulled over for a traffic ticket, but um, the way that you apply the license and registration uh, to the way you hand the license and registration to the officer implies that you're nervous um, and that warrants them to, you know, look in your trunk. Those are all things that could just happen overnight. And we have to be really um, proactive about preventing. Finally, Jake, I understand that the, the broad term for what we're talking about here, and I think you used it as predictive policing, right? And mm -hmm. and it, it sounds like that term alone can be pretty creepy. It sort of conjures up, you know, images of like Minority Report and movies like that. But I wonder what, in, in what other ways do we know law enforcement is trying to or even talking about using AI for predictive policing? Yeah, well, the best example of this really comes back to facial recognition. It's something yeah. that we've almost all as consumers interacted with at some point, most of us, when we you know boot up our iPhones, scan in via facial recognition. And what might be you know news to a lot of listeners is that you know your face is constantly being pulled by CCTV footage um, at ports of entry, right? So if you're at an airport, um, constantly they're taking in inputs. And you know, just think, you know, if they're taking in millions and millions of scans a day of faces, how are they making sense of all of it? Um, well, they're tracking you and they're tracking your face. And so that's already being used. It's a very um, common tool. It's how some of them, uh, it's how some police departments tracked down uh, suspects in the January 6 uh, protests. Um, and it's used constantly. And so really the question just becomes, where do you draw the line? Because currently no one's drawn a line. They're just kind of allowed to do whatever they want. Um, and and know, there's proof, giving... <laughs> right, Jake, there's proof that there's proof that that facial recognition software isn't isn't all that accurate, right, especially with different races and, and different ethnicity groups. Absolutely. You know, it's um, all goes back to the foundations of these models. And we don't really get that information, how they were constructed, what the inputs were, how they were trained. They just get deployed and they draw conclusions and we don't know how they reach those conclusions. And it's very easy in the instance of facial recognition to just go, well, that's not someone's face, right? I mean, like uh, it flags a certain person, you pursue that person and then you go back and you're like, well, it wasn't them. Uh, but in some other instances where it's just making inferences based off of behaviors, this is really the predictive policing model we're familiar with from, you know, like a minority report situation. Um, it's much more difficult to decide you know, how it drew that conclusion, what flagged the the model. So um, facial recognition is just one instance, and it's far from the most uh, frightening. Jake Denton with the Heritage Foundation, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And in other news, I'm Gianna Gelosi. 
500 golden retrievers gathered in an open field. Is this heaven? Nope. It's just a tradition in Scotland to celebrate the 155th anniversary of one of the most beloved dog breeds. The Golden Retriever Club of Scotland organized a four-day anniversary event at the ruins of the Cushkin House to pay homage to Sir Dudley Majorie Banks, later Lord Tweedmouth, who lived there and is credited with developing the breed in 1868, wanting a rugged hunting companion with a loving disposition. So he crossed a wavy-coated retriever with a tweed water spaniel. The tennis ball obsession came with the package. The Golden gathering happens every five years, with the first event happening in 2001. This year's meetup had dogs from 12 different countries, some all the way from New Zealand, and it was the largest gathering yet. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Jalosi. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Hey everyone, it's Kennedy and you can listen to my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It's going five days a week on the Fox News Podcast Network. We're bringing you all the fan favorites. Listen on Spotify, Apple, foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tommy Lahren. What's on your mind? The Barbie movie has only been out for a few days, but it's already crushing the box office and apparently also triggering my fellow conservatives. And I don't get it. Now, the biggest criticism of the movie is that Ken and the other male characters portrayed are dumb and weak or sexist. Some of my conservative friends feel like this movie is anti-man and shows men in a bad light, but newsflash for you, no duh. It's a movie about a fictional doll living in a Barbie dreamland of pink glitter and high ponytails. Did you think this was the remake of Rocky? I mean, come on now. The outrage over this is a little much. We've got a lot of battles to fight for the heart of this country, and I don't think picking this one is strategic or useful in the slightest. And furthermore, if you don't want your daughters or your wives watching the Barbie movie because it's too woke, y'all men better also boycott the NFL, the MLB, the NBA, soccer, and every other professional sporting event because they are way more woke. I'm Tommy Lahren. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Dana Perino. Join me for season three of my limited time podcast, Everything Will Be Okay, based on my best-selling book of the same name. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review.